So hello and welcome to the latest episode of Design Truth. Uh, my name is Brad Harper and I am an industrial design recruiter, although I've just figured out I should probably call myself the founder of Design Truth or something now. Now I'm going solo, so I'll work out a fancy job title, I'm sure. And um, Today, this episode's mainly about design education, really, um, with the backdrop of potential kind of funding um, that's not going in the right direction um, here in the UK. Um, we brought on a chap called Hector Silva, who is the kind of design education um, entrepreneurial kind of mastermind behind um, a program called Offsite. And he is the um, man behind Advanced Design, which you may have seen on um, Instagram and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we're going back stateside for this one and um, really lovely fella. I've always got a lot of time for Hector, so I'm sure you'll um, enjoy this episode. There's only one thing we ever really ask of you, really, and that's if you do half enjoy it, um, do leave a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. I, I believe it does good things if you do that. And um, next time you're speaking to one of your design mates, just mention the podcast. It does go a long way. And um, as always, thanks for your support. Look after yourselves. And see you on the other side. for context Hector never ask designers what the strangest brief they've ever got on as a question because every time we ask the question they just duck the question saying oh we can't talk about that so (laughs) just a a life lesson we've learned we thought we'd do this cool idea where they get everyone to talk about wacky briefs that you know land on the desk or something but every single time we've asked the question they've all said yeah we can't talk to you about that so um, we're trying to find a new quirky question to that's to finish things off. Um, I, there's a few things I wanted just to kind of run through, really. Um, Hector, it was thanks for obviously come, wanting to to kind of come on and, and join us. Um, it feels quite um, apt, really, because over here in the UK, um, we're I don't know if they've announced it yet, but they're they're about to, but they're about to announce some quite drastic education cuts. Um, to art and design education, um, which is, um, I think, more implied to like primary schools and secondary schools, that kind of level of education. So not so pre-university, right? But that's where you fall in love with the craft, I guess. Um, so I just thought it'd be a great opportunity to bring someone like yourself on, who is kind of knocking on the door of design education and doing things a little bit differently, just to kind of get a bit of more of a feel for your background and story so far and obviously invite you on here just as much as you kindly invited us on um to context all those months ago um i don't know if you've been on many podcasts how does it feel to be the guest for a change and not the person asking the questions yeah i appreciate it there's definitely less pressure to (laughs) you know uh uh be the uh moderator and kind of you know uh work prior the week to really strategize and, and build the narrative so yeah there's 
I yeah. was coming in and I was like, oh, I don't have to do anything this time. I did shave today for you coming on. So it must have been quite important for me to go and do that. So um, <laughs> again, thanks for thanks for coming on. Um, I'm going to guess that the people that are listening are probably going to know a little bit about advanced design and yourself and, uh, and what you're about, um, mainly just based on the amount of listener questions that I got through um, over the last couple of days, which is a lot more than some of the other guests we've had on some from pretty big companies. So you're doing something right um, in, in that regard. Lots of people wanted to ask some questions. Um, but to those that don't know, it'd be just great if you could just give the, the 30 second ele- elevator pitch to you and the organization and all, and all that kind of good stuff. Sure. Yeah, no problem. Uh, my name is Hector Silva and I'm a design educator uh, in the United States based in Chicago. And, um, you know, I started Advanced Design, which is a design nonprofit. And the purpose of the program or the nonprofit was to um, shake up design education, uh, make it accessible, uh, uh, make it a level playing field. Um, because right now, uh, education is a pretty elitist. You have, you either need a lot of money or have a lot of money to attend the school and be part of this very exclusive club, or you have to borrow money to go there. And if you borrow money, uh, when you graduate, it can disrupt your growth as a designer or as a human because of debt, um, especially here in the United States. Um, so the purpose of advanced design was to offer uh, education um, free at no cost, uh, whatever means that means, um, and at least make it accessible with you know social media and every, all these wonderful platforms that we now have access to. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, so what we'll what we'll do, Hector, is we'll put the the links in our descriptions of how people can take a look or donate or something like that. I'm, I know something I've done in the past, but I'm, we'll, we'll put all the relevant links in so people can you know Google at their heart's content and, and and kind of look at things in a bit more kind of depth. Um, I've got loads of questions that I'm sure Drew has too, but I thought the best place would be to start right at the beginning and like before all of this stuff happened. Was there a what was your design career like? It was actually really enough a listener question from a chap called Nadim that was asking, why did you get into design education in the first place? You kind of touched upon it there, but I presume that wasn't the intention day one out of university was to teach, to teach, to teach. I imagine you originally had other goals um, in industry. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Um, yeah. I graduated, um, about 12 years ago. I'm going to date myself. And um, I graduated uh, a year. No, it probably is six months right after the economic crash of yeah. 2008. And um, that period of time really, um, it got me very shaken up as a person because I, I quickly realized that um you know, there's no such thing as, oh, it's a perfect job market, right? Everyone's going to go into the job market uh, and anything could be happening. There could be war, there could be recessions. Like, um, and uh, so I, I was very uh, traumatized by that time. And I, when I was in school, I wanted to be a toy designer. So I, I started going into toy design. So the first two years out of school, I worked for uh, Nickelodeon. Um, I worked for to- some toy invention firms here in Chicago. Chicago is known for being one of the toy invention 
capitals of, of at least here in the United States where uh, you work with engineers, uh, electrical engineers, and um, you create concepts. Um, think about it like Shark Tank, where you invent new toys, you invent new um, characters, new concepts, and then you pitch those ideas to the bigger companies like Fisher-Price and Mattel. Yeah. Um, and then that's how these invention firms stay in business. They get royalties from big hits like Tickle Me Elmo and other, you know, uh, giant toys that, that make it. Um, so I was doing that for two to three years and um, it was going great. Um, I really loved it. And uh, also did work for, um, you know, I did industrial design work for Create and Barrel. I did work for um, some local design studios here in Chicago. Um, and then I started to realize that there has to be more to this than just me chasing and me going to work nine to five. And I think I was getting a little exhausted. Um, and I started to think like, okay, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life for the next? I'm sure we've, years? I'm sure we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. I was like 23, 24 when I started to ask, started to ask these questions. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's real. I mean, that must be, that must be really, really common because I think around that sort of quarter life crisis, we all think, oh man, I've been learning, I've, I've been studying this one thing for maybe five years by that point. Mm-hmm. You get your first taste and you're like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and honestly, around this time, um, industrial design was really small and small in the sense that you had to be really good at like three or four things for you to be pretty successful industrial designer. Like you had to be really good at prototyping CAD and sketching. It was very traditional. This was before social media, before Uber, before any of these companies really existed, Airbnb, um, like students didn't have Kickstarters in their portfolios. Like none of this, you know, students didn't do video and they didn't do CAD animations and key shots. Like none of this existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had to be really good at these very four or five very specific things. And then, you know, you were able to, be pretty adequate at work. Um, so I started asking these questions like, okay, for the last three years, I've been hustling and been working my butt off. Like, is this it? Is this what I went to school for? And I have debt, you know, like I, I, I was, there's a lot of pressure and I was just like a little frustrated, started asking these questions. There has to be more out there, but I want to be in design, but there has to be more. Um, so started talking to people, started talking to uh, my older brother, who's an educator, um, and started to realize that maybe my calling was in in education and going back to help kind of mold and at least influence the next generation of designers. So Hector, it's interesting you say that, that you, you got to that stage and started thinking, well, hang on, what can I do that's kind of related to this, but maybe something parallel. Um, I always think that's an interesting topic especially in well especially in design it's interesting to me because that's what i do um but there are lots of people who don't get that first opportunity and they come out of uni and they've got this degree and they've got all this training and eventually they start having to go well what am i going to do with all this um mm. education's you know really a, a great option for anybody um i remember getting to a similar point um and I'd, i was like maybe two or three jobs in it wasn't, they, they were not good jobs and they were not interesting. And it wasn't, I wasn't sketching or prototyping. I was just doing AutoCAD. And I just thought, well, you know what? 
if this is the work that's available to me and this is the portfolio that I've got, why not go back and study architecture so I can get, you know, the, the better role where I'm doing, because I was doing a lot of um, sort of structural steel work and that type of thing. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I guess probably a lot of people have those kind of crisis moments at that point and go, I've got to do something different or I've really got to knuckle down. It's interesting that you went, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to go into education. Yeah, I think also, like, I also did all the shitty jobs. I did the jobs that are advertised in a very shady website. I did uh, other jobs because I thought maybe I'm frustrated because maybe I want more money. So therefore, let me go make more money. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's going to, you know, make me happier because I get to buy things or travel. But that's only temporary, right? Those are only temporary um, goals. Those are things that make you happy on a very, like, I'm thinking long term and, um I like honestly like it's really weird as well. I even joined the pyramid scheme for like a year, <laughs> and I was a part of some really weird cultish business groups yeah. that were doing really weird stuff because I wanted something different. I wanted yeah. to change my whole schedule without leaving design. Right? Um, yeah. and it it's crazy to think that by such a young age you should. You, like the expectation is that you've decided what you want to do for the rest of your mm. career and that's it. Now just get on with it. Like 16 or I don't know what it's like in the States, but like 15, 16, mm-hmm. you're choosing your first round of exams that lead on to another round of exams that lead on to a degree that lead on to, right, first job. Like <laughs> and not many people know what they want to do. I was, I was, I was pretty set by that point because I, I was locked After in. After designer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was locked in. I wanted to be. I wanted to you know, draw lamps and bins and all sorts of things like that and chairs. Uh, I haven't actually had the opportunity to design any of those things. Um, but yeah, like it's crazy to think twenty-five year old, uh, a twenty-five year old person to go right off. You go. This is it now for the rest of it. You got another fifty years of work. Yeah. With me. Well, I mean, it's it's uh, crazy to think that there's people and families who already kind of foretell their kids like oh you're going to be a doctor an engineer mm-hmm. you know if you if you're if your background is like uh, you know a lot of my friends who are indian or asian or you know from south america or different parts of the world their parents have this like long line of legacy like oh we're doctors therefore you're going to go into medicine or you're going to be an engineer or you're going to be an architect and i mean imagine that like you're 16 years old and you're like wow i already got it do this by the time I leave yeah. school. So I think for me, I was like, you know, thanks, you know, kind of thanking my parents for not just letting me explore and, and kind yeah. of be autonomous for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Then he says, I'm not in design as everyone knows. The minute I start talking about design, I sound quite stupid, but the only thing I can relate to there is that, um, was I a quarter of the way through 23, 24? Um, I, I found that, it's also quite temporary when you go traveling. So like lots of people think if I go traveling for a period of time, it will sort itself out. But actually I think that is something that puts a lot of things on hold, you know, whereas like you can go, people get burnt out. They save a bit of money early twenties is what I did anyway. And you go and get pissed up in Australia for six months. So then you come <laughs> back. That was really what it was but those still same frustrations that you have of your workplace mm-hmm. or industry are still kind of there. Yeah. Um, and um, that is one thing I would say, obviously no one's going anywhere at the minute. I think you can go to Portugal now. So congratulations to anyone that's going to Portugal on Monday, but 
you can't really go but that but that was prehistorically you go oh, i'll just go traveling for a bit i'll find myself or whatever and i'll come back and you know a job will be waiting for me or whatever but actually i find that that as a pathway is something that maybe is equal to the situation you mentioned there where like you can go and come back but actually you're still going to feel those kind of frustrations that you that you talked upon there in terms of the actual day-to-day work that you're doing and that debt that you're saddled with as well Ugh. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I think a lot of it has to do with, and I think a lot of people don't think about this, but finding your purpose, right? Because I think a lot of us kind of just live through our late 18s, 19 year, you know, into the early 20s, kind of just free flowing and like, okay, let's see what happens. And there's no structure and that's okay. But I think as soon as, as soon as you start realize that your life on this planet is very short. I think the faster you're going to start to figure out what makes you happy. Um, and I'm not here to tell anyone what to do, but I think for me, that just kind of came to me very quickly when I started to realize that school wasn't everything that I thought it was going to be. Um, and then I went into industry and it was great. I had, you know, satisfaction and, but then, you know, that, that juice, started to wear off fairly quickly yeah, and I wanted, I wanted more. Yeah. And to a point where you actually turned down a role at Apple to pursue what it is that you're doing now. I mean, not many people That's would correct. have the balls to do something like that. It's a fair play to you <laughs> for, for, for doing that. Yeah. It, um, I, I don't, you know, that, that role was, uh, um, it was, it was kind of, again, I think it was part of my strategy of what am I going to do here? Right. I'm frustrated with industry and, and kind of the nine to five. Am I going to go here? And is this going to make me happier or, 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 you know, like what they say, like, you know, um, uh, what's saying, I think the saying is, um, you know, I know how the sausage is made. Um, so like, like you, you idolize these companies, uh, and then, but idolizing them and working for them are two different things. Mm -hmm. Do you really want to work for someone who you idolize? Because then it's going to turn out to be, you know, you're going to be, you know, you're either going to be really happy or I don't know. I I just don't know. They always always say, don't meet your heroes as well, don't they? Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a lot to be said. You know, you touched on identity as a young person as well. That's like, that's when you're just starting to get a chance to really figure something out. And going to something... Uh, you know, one of those companies that has such a strong uh, design ethos. Are you going to be able to, like, to really learn more about yourself there? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I've never been so fortunate as to even get in the door of any of those places. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I can't make any assumptions there. But I do think, you know, we've talked a little bit about this before, um, about there's, there's real value in um, not chasing just those very specific dreams, but really chasing the opportunity to do the work in the right way. And, you know, when you're a, when you're a youngster, um, you know, if you can be around a good team or if you can be in a small team, you'll get, you'll learn a lot and you'll get to really sort of stretch your legs a lot and do lots of different tasks. I I always kind of think um, it's a bit like if you're a car designer, to my mind, if you're a car designer, you're probably not going to get to design a whole car until you're Frank Stephenson, right? Exactly. In the meantime, you're going to design handles. Um, and maybe like button layout if you're really good. <laughs> um, so it's interesting, but I mean, who's, uh, yeah, who apart from you is going to turn down 
something like that. That just seems like a good, like an amazing opportunity. I think I'd be really tempted to go in and go. Like, do, you th- do you think it's also amazing because we're here in the UK and we don't really have companies of that kind of size here? So also we're we're looking at like, wow, that's the best thing. Whereas, um, yeah, well, that's, I mean, maybe that's a, a separate thing. But I mean, it's in um, it's in you know what is it Palo Alto? You're yeah. in you're in you're in around like the birthplace of mountain biking. You got right. surf. Silicon Valley. You guys are probably like this guy's an idiot for doing that, but <laughs> <laughs> but but, but I, I am gonna say that we are a little privileged here because we do have a lot of these companies left hmm. and right, right? Um, honestly, I I would I would drive um, forklifts, you know, at Apple if I, if I really like. That's how much I wanted to work there. You can make me a janitor, um, but um, I was thinking long term, you know. How how long am I going to stick it out here? Uh, because the job wasn't a, a design job; it was kind of an entry level into um, uh, prototyping. It was like a level one prototyper and things like that. And for me, I was like, okay, this can be my way in, and I can work my way up or whatever. Um, but yeah, like I think at the time I was in a different space. I was very, you know, I had this entrepreneur spirit, and I was like, man, I want to go out and change the world. No, you know. I, yeah, I, good for you. I really genuinely admire that. I think that's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. It, yeah, it's a gamble to move to take anything, but to go, no, that, that, okay, that makes sense. I hear you, but I really want to do this thing over here. And if it yeah. comes up in my face, well, I'll have done it and I've tried. Off we go. I think that's awesome. I think, yeah. like, if anyone takes any, uh, like, piece of advice as a, you know, as a, as a, I say a youngster, but like as a recent graduate, you know, a few years in, take the chance, whatever the chance is, do it. It might blow up in your face, but you've got fucking years left ahead of you. So just get on with it. I wish I'd been bolder. That's so true. I wish I'd taken more chances. And, and you never know in the future, you can work with that company that you admire because I, you know, yeah, I, I might've not, I might've passed up on this opportunity, but the dream is still there. I I still dream well, one day. They're not going to go away anytime soon, are they? <laughs> yeah, and 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 maybe I won't work for them as an industrial designer, but maybe I can work with them on something yeah. else, right? Yeah. So it's still there. I'm still very excited and optimistic about it. Plenty of other people and other companies that need good design, you know. And if they've got a strong design um, ethos already, great, more power to them. But you know what? The thing I always kind of think about is. And this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you, really. Have you ever, like, the flip side of that, have you ever experienced the product and gone, this is so crap and it could be unbelievable if they would just have thought about this and this? And, like, how close have you got to either calling or emailing and going, can I just have six weeks in your building and I bet I can make some positive change? Because I promise you I nearly did that today. <laughs> just, I just went, you know what? You're just one man. <laughs> yeah no i've definitely been there before um and um and i, I think i kind of have this self-awareness of oh i'm i'm not the i i don't have enough clout for me to step forward you know and i'm very conscious of, of where i'm at as far as the the company dynamic and but i've been there before and, and i have expressed these uh concerns in private to some people um and uh those are very tough conversations because you you look like the bad guy, right? Um, or, or you feel really guilty or, or feel like you're doing something bad, but yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it feels like a sort of um, a betrayal of the of the brotherhood or of the industry to go, 
well, this, the, these guys did a bad job. Like, whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah. and that's, not, that's not what you mean, but it feels like that's that's kind of an. Image. Is it a bit like the goalkeepers' union in football, Drew? Where like if if or in or in soccer, where like if the if the keeper makes a mistake, the other keeper will never say it's the goalkeeper's fault. They'll always say it's the marketeer's fault. It was a salesperson's fault, yeah. or the brief was crap, or you know it was it's never actually. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, I feel like. The- no one's intentionally doing a, a bad job, but like there are right. so many conflicting, and, and often it comes down to like a poorly defined brief, or uh, like a rush to get something out, or a, a, you know maybe a lack of courage to go with the strong idea. Um, I mean, I'm not really thinking of anything too specific at the moment because uh, any of those things can happen and have an, an influence that means that a really really good idea gets delivered really poorly. Um, and maybe like the budget isn't quite there for the machine molding tool or something mm-hmm. like that, um, whatever it might be. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's not always a matter of oh, give, give us give us half an hour in now. <laughs> yeah. So well, just um, obviously we've we've touched upon like why the purpose of like why we're we gonna why are you gonna do this thing. We had an episode once, Hector, where we had two agency founders on that just started their own agency. And one of the questions we asked them was, what was the first 100 days like starting up your own design agency? And they'll mention things like, no, I've got to talk to the accountant. I've got to get bits of kit. I've got to cold outreach people on LinkedIn. Someone that's trying to disrupt design education, can you think back to what the first 100 days were like all those years ago? Yeah. Um the first 100 days just trying to think of like how different is it now to what it was back then and your thoughts Mm -hmm. and because now it's like this complete ecosystem right but yeah kind of maybe tell us a little bit about those first 100 days and what was going on and was it just you was there a group of you what was the what were those kind of early days like that's a very good question i don't think i've ever uh anyone has ever asked me that question but i think the first 100 days were one very exciting like we um, didn't know what we were doing, but I think the excitement level um, was so big that it, we could have messed up, we could have failed, and it it didn't rock us because we were too excited. It it just mm-hmm. the overwhelming excitement was was too much for failure, and we weren't even thinking about that. So it was very exciting times. Um, there was a lot of things that I was doing as a person individually. Like there was a the the team was about six of us. Um, and I, I think 90% of the, probably less, probably 75% of the things that needed to get done was me. Right. And, and because I was the, the, the salesperson, I was the, the driving one going force. Out. Yeah. Exactly. I was the one who was, um, turning belief into action. Right. And, nice. um, and then I, I had a, I had to trickle that down into the team because they were also new and they were part of this new venture. And, they were looking for someone to lead it and someone to trust, right. Um, to know that this was going to go beyond a hundred days. Um, mm. So there was, there was a lot of work, a lot of work. Um, the business aspect of it, there was a lot of work as far as like the vision we were planning, like, okay, what are we going to, what do we want to do for the next six months? But then also what do we want to do for the next year, the next two years? So a lot of uh, vision planning and strategizing, Um yeah, there was just a lot of work. It felt like a startup where we were kind of everywhere and we were always meeting spontaneously because, you know, things would come up and we were like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? So we were always, um, we were never stagnant. Like 
I don't think we took a break. We were always just on fire. Um, and that kind of pushed us to keep going. And did you have a, like a, like a day job at this point or did you, cause you was let, was you lecturing as well? Um, yeah, during yeah. these early days or, or not? Yeah. I was working full time uh, at a university and I was doing, you know, contracting work. And then I was doing this essentially like, you know, as well. Um, so I was doing like three things at once. Um, and the, some of the people on the team, they were still students at, you know, university. And, um, a lot of them, uh, are extremely talented and and not on not only industrial design but also graphic design so uh we relied on them to really you know uh visualize our branding and and our vision for what you know and these were just students right so how do you how do you how do you push a student to elevate the work so that it looks professional and it becomes professional um yeah. yeah, I think it's some of the some of our early days, Drew. Where it's it's funny, isn't it? To where like you see people that come and go, but you kind of need them during like that period. I think of like the young designer Ollie that did our logo for us. It's only his, you know it's logo, but like we needed that to if you know because if it was me and Drew doing the logo, it wouldn't look as half as good as what it is now. But it's funny how you kind of rely on someone to come in for a little bit, or you know me and Drew always have a text on a Thursday night, you know, with loads of boatload of ideas, let's go and do this. And then, you know, a week later we might go, Oh, we can't do that because we haven't got the time or the money or whatever, but you're yeah. constantly just churning out mm-hmm. ideas of, okay, we can do that in six months time. We'll go and talk to that person. Yeah. But, but if you've got enough wheels spinning, eventually things start slotting into place was there a particular moment for you Hector where things started to to slot into place of like okay this thing makes sense now or I can I can imagine it might have been a bit you know talking to family I think I'm just about to start this thing online you know it's called off-site you know it's 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 we're we're doing design education but they're not going to be going to university and uh, I suppose now you must be at a place where you can talk very differently about obviously over the last couple of years, but just trying to think of like any landmark moments of like, okay, it's really making sense now. Yeah. So um, as far as offsite goes, which is our design education initiative, after we did our first cohort or our first semester um, and we completed the 12 weeks and we, you know, accomplished all of that and, and all the students attending the courses and everything um, I think that's when I was able to breathe and I was able to be like, wow, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this. Um, in, in order for this, something like this to work, everyone has to be all in the instructors, the mentors, the designers, the sponsors, um, the students, um, everyone has to be a part of this moving puzzle. Um, and, uh, at the end of the, those 12 weeks, when it all finished, I was able to really just relax and be like, okay, this pilot program or this beta run, it actually happened. It, it worked. Yeah. Um, yeah. Students are excited about it. Um, there's interest from the outside. Right. Um, and it, I think that's when I, I, I was able to be like, we can do this again and again. Yeah. Is it, was it a reassurance going back to see the chat at the start? Is it a reassurance that actually you enjoyed it as well? And that actually you didn't go, I've kind of done that now. <laughs> and, and now I, just like when you was a designer you've designed a toy 
and it's yeah. a bit like okay, I've done that now, and Gets now I'm I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm bored. But actually, you went through that beta program. It's like I want to do that again. That purpose has been verified almost. Is that one of those doubts you had? Oh, I might actually not really. It was it was it was a different kind of feeling mm. um, because this is something that I created with other people, and I mm-hmm. think when it when it's something that you do. Um, you know, you want to iterate on it. You want to make it better. Um, especially with something like education, you can't just do it once and say, all right, I know it works. I'm going to go retire. Right. Um, with a product, I, I guess you can. Uh, but also I feel like if you work for someone else, um, that responsibility isn't there. Right. Um, that, that, uh, investment that you have for the company, it might be there, but it's not a hundred percent. Right. And when you do something on your own, that investment is 150%. You're, you sleep, you know, you think about it, you shower, you think about it. Like all these thoughts are running through your head 24-7, right? Mm. Yeah, so. probably wondering why on earth the screen's changed, but we've got a sponsor. And um, Ineo Solutions, who are a um, platinum reseller of Keyshot and PTC, have kindly agreed to sponsor us, which is pretty cool. And um, amazing. Yeah, and Drew, you actually work with these guys. You you know what they're all about. Yeah, I've worked with them a few times over the years. Um, like I say, I've had them. Uh, I've I've gone to them for my key shot supplies, uh, my Creo supplies, and I've even done training with them. Uh, and that's something that I'm going to do again shortly. Nice to get my. I I trained years ago on um, on the ISDX side of uh, of Creo at their very beautiful setting. Uh, I just remember the duck ponds and the barn and all of that. Um, but yeah, no, I'm going to do key shot training for uh, for a day shortly. Got to get as good as the kids, Drew. There's a lot of there's a lot of mean competition out there now, so I've got all my skills, man. Yeah, good stuff. And what we, I'm sure you'd agree, but they've been lovely people as well so far. And Absolutely, we don't. And yeah. I'm not a massive people person, but they've been massively lovely. So <laughs> that's the biggest endorsement I can give them. And yeah. um, they're so nice that they're actually giving us, or not us, but anyone that signs up to the Design Truth Patreon, which is about six quid a month. I mean, we're not breaking, you know, breaking the bank here. But anyone that signs up, they're going to get given a 100 pound voucher to use on Ineo's stuff. So maybe your key shot needs updating or your Creo or you need to run stuff on it or a bit of training. You need to go and meet Drew for some training. Um, he isn't doing the training, so you know, <laughs> don't worry about that one. Um, but yeah, they've been really lovely. They're, they're doing the whole Patreon thing, getting involved in Design Truth. Um, we'll let you get back to the podcast now, but we just thought we would let you know. Stay safe. No, really, it was just sort of around... Um bits of advice for someone in a similar situation. Um, <laughs> a friend. <laughs> I've got this, I've got this friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So like obviously Brad and I are doing like doing something around design truth, but um, yeah, from my own point of view, um, what I'm doing, I'm, um, I'm, like, I've got a full-time contract right now. That's like a year long, but uh, in terms of like design uh, and, 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 and all that, that's not gonna. That's not that fulfilling. It's, it's good work, and I'm very, very grateful for it. Don't get me wrong. But then there's also okay. On top of that, then there's design truth, which I don't do a lot of because Brad does. Brad handles most of that. But then there's also you know parenting, being a good partner, uh, and then there's you know 
eating and sleeping. And then there's the thing, what do I want to, what do I, what do I want to do? I'm at this point now where it's been a bit of a topsy-turvy year or so, uh, and it's made me really reflect in the same way that you did. And I've, like, one of the things I have considered is going into education. One of the things I've considered is getting a fresh education. Um, and that could be a bit of a, a bit of a change. Maybe you should, maybe you should go to offsite. Maybe maybe we can That's maybe sad. we can sort of offline. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should get you on one of the one of the next cohorts, Drew. <laughs> well, okay, well, okay, well, on that. <laughs> on that, before I actually before I knew about offsite, um, because you, uh, I, I, I listened to the context episode with. I'm sorry, I always forget the guy's name, uh, but a guy that you had known for a while. I think he'd worked at maybe was it Motorola or Samsung, uh, Samsung um, and then was he's from Australia, and then he set up something similar in Australia to... Uh, oh, Leon. Leon, yeah. So he he started uh, Auxiliary in Australia. That's the one, Auxiliary, yeah. So I heard that, and I was like, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing that I've mm-hmm. been wanting to do, and then I heard, found out more about Offsite. Um, what I've always said is, like, if I had a massive lottery win, what I would do is buy a big barn in North Wales and open that up for design workshops and short courses around design skills, uh, for <clears throat> for kids who are not going to go to uni, um, you know, there is like a viable uh, alternative. Um, but the reason I always say I've got a lot of is because how on earth do you fund that? And it's as you said, you work three other jobs <laughs> to do it. You fit it in, right? I I think um, you know, and and we're actually in the process of doing something in a physical form in very soon because not that the pandemic is ending, but I think things are starting to look better and we're starting to realize what does offsite look like, you know, in the physical, because right now it's online. Um, so I, I'm, I'm there with you with that, with that dream. That would be ideal. Of course, that, that'd be awesome. Um, as far as doing a bunch of things at the same time, um, I think that's something that you start out doing because you yourself as a human being, you're trying to figure out, how is all these ventures and personal and, you know, if you have family and kids, how is this all, what does this starting to shape, you know, and how can I manage it? And I think um, as you kind of go through life and, and kind of these jobs, you'll start to realize that all of these items align very organically to, to you as a human, because it's not like you are a designer and then you own an ice cream shop and then you run, you know, a real estate empire. Those are three different things. You're doing design, 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 and then, you know, home. And a lot of that is very close together and in alignment. It's very organic. And when you start to figure out how you can really um, work multiple things into your life and it all makes sense and it's very organic and it works for you, then you don't even feel like you have multiple jobs. You just feel like you're you're owning what you're doing and you're you're going out there and you're doing different things, but it doesn't feel like, okay, I'm going to start job one or I'm going to start job two. It doesn't feel that at all. Um, but right now you probably feel that way because you're trying to figure things out. And I, two, three years, that was me. For, for three years, I was like, there's all these things and I got to figure out how I'm going to fit this in a 24-hour you know, schedule. Um, but once you start to figure out whether there's overlap and, um, you know, how to fit in family's time and, you know, all that stuff, um, you'll start to realize that you actually have more time than ever. That sounds really weird, but you'll, you're going to be very efficient 
<laughs> well, I've never been accused of that before. Um, but, uh, no, I appreciate that, man. That's, that's really helpful. Yeah. Because honestly, as you're saying it, I'm like, yeah, no, that makes sense. That, that yeah. makes I'm 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 with you on that Hector, but equally I've got to um I'm going to see my I think it's my girlfriend's uncle next week or something. And it's gonna be one of those kind of family parties where I'm gonna be asked, What are you doing for work now? Or, you know, what's the job looking like? And I'm gonna to have to turn around to him and say, Well, I've got this podcast. <laughs> you know, I've got I've got this thing. You know, and it's yeah. like it's one of those things where I'm totally with you, but putting it on a business plan, sometimes you do look at it some days and go. <laughs> Yeah. Like, hey, I've got a map. It's a great map. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, know I gave it away for free. Yeah. Brad, what? What? what on earth? Yeah, yeah, no, I hear that. And even like saying, oh, I've got this podcast, like a, few, a year or so ago, people would go, oh my God, that's so cool. It's like, yeah, no. So three of these guys over here, you know, yeah. at the dinner table, like everyone's got a podcast now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, even that, you just start, you start thinking, Probably wouldn't actually mention that. I'll just yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so if we kind of fast forward a little bit to to, to offsite today, um, and I suppose it's more than just offsite, though, isn't it? I keep saying offsite, but actually, it's the conferences that you used to do, Square One, and all these different bits and pieces that are going on. As you can tell, I've kind of prepped for this episode, whereas others I tend to just rock on at the end and have a chat with someone. There's a lot. To someone. Get so I feel there's yeah. a lot to get through, but I just what's it like now in 2021 like students from all over the world i'd love to know if you've had any uk designers come on to, to the cohort and how you found those designers because i imagine now you must get a real sense of design around the world and what education is like around the world and maybe can speak with a little bit more authority of like this is what we're finding designers like in the us and this is what we're finding designers in like Australia or the Philippines or Korea mm. or the UK, are you starting to spot any kind of differences or nuances between different cultures and education? Yeah. Um, so to answer your first question, um, I think this month, uh, next week, we're going to be celebrating our five years in existence as far as advanced design. And I think uh, one of our biggest goals um was to really create this really nice ecosystem of education resources. I want to do prototyping. I go and do ready set proto. I want to listen to inspiring designers. I go listen to a podcast like what you guys are doing. Um, I want to, you know, be part of workshops. I go do the conference. You know, there's a lot of moving initiatives. Um, and with offsite, um, we yeah, we do have a lot. We we have. Uh, I would say maybe. 10, maybe 8% of our students are from the UK. Um, And uh, yeah, so it's actually very exciting because, you know, uh, we get a lot of students from the Philippines, Australia, the UK, uh, South America, a lot of students from Germany, uh, Italy, Spain, um, and then China and, you know, South Korea. And and, and they're all all together in these cohorts. There's like a huge community feel to the education mm-hmm. obviously i watch the videos that come up online and stuff so i'm not there in the lessons mm-hmm. but there always seems to be this collective togetherness of the people that are on it and i don't know if that's the case in traditional education drills you've been through design education but does it feel like a collective or does it just feel like a group of people that's just doing the same course so when we first started doing this one of our biggest concerns was what if all these people don't don't get on with each other. 
yeah, they, they don't, <laughs> they don't uh, mesh well with each other because they're mm-hmm. from all different cultures, different parts of the world. But the common language here is design. And yeah, you can be different, but the one common thing that we hang on to is design. And everyone just, uh, you know, creates this wonderful community um, on a global scale, which is great because that's what you want to learn as a student, you want to have a global perspective of what is industrial design. You don't want to have, you know, a local perspective because unless you're planning on living forever in, you know, uh, uh, and never moving and always working there and dying, you know, where you were born, then I guess that's fine. But you want to go out and change the world with design. You need a global perspective. Um, so the one thing that what we, we, we noticed with these students who apply to offside is design education is pretty much the same around the world. Okay. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, a good thing. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. Um, but the reason why the students are coming to offside are for those frustrations that they don't get in traditional academia. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's where there's those nuances. Well, that's where yeah. I think students differ is, is they're not getting the most up-to-date information to succeed yeah. and to enter into industry. Right. Okay. I was going to ask, like, what are the, what are those frustrations typically? Yeah. Some of the, some of them vary from, um, you know, uh, knowing generally how to be a business person. Right. Oh, okay. So as, okay. as a designer, I think, yeah. um, we all kind of live in our bubble, but, you know, we all know that in order to get a product manufactured and and actually make it, there needs to be a lot of different uh, uh, disciplines that you got to go through, right? Business engineering. A lot of these students, you know, don't know how to take an idea to, uh, you know, reality and make it real. Um, A lot of these students don't need. Yeah. It's a cool, it's a, it's a, a fundamental surely you you would think that a lot of these programs um design for manufacturing is the foundation for industrial design education but it's not a lot of oh, these students don't know about how to manufacture something um until three or four years into their under into their education and you're like why is it happening so late that should be the first class that you take when you go into you know university because that without that knowledge you know, then you're just a concept designer if you don't know how to yeah, ma- manufacture. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in, in Bournemouth in what 2001 when I when I went, um, so I graduated 2005. But in Bournemouth, there would be something that you know, there was design for manufacture throughout. I mean, that's essentially the, the origin of the. Yeah, that, that's a very. I think that's a very Bournemouth thing, though, isn't it? Rather than a UK thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's the only degree I did. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I can speak with any authority. Yeah, you had to design your uh, your your concept, your idea for uh, usually for injection molding, um, because that would be something in the brief as well. So you'd have to you know make allowances for that, but then also you'd have to design it for the prototype that you're going to make manually in the workshop. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a different set of considerations, you know. Um, I mean, just that that's why it surprised me because that was like from day one. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these students don't have substance in some of the work. A lot of these students um, lack, you know, a lot of other things like, uh, you know, yeah, we have rendering, we have, you know, other things, but we don't teach them. Here's how you render. We teach them how do you utilize this tool to then communicate what you're doing so that your product or your idea continues on down this product cycle. 
right? Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's about utilizing the tools to your advantage, not I'm going to teach you how to render something pretty because if there's no purpose behind that, then you're, what's the, what's the point, right? It has to have substance, right? So. Yeah. Are they also a little bit disillusioned as well with, because you're, if you're hitting this kind of sweet spot of uni to industry, so it, you're not kind of taking on first year placement people, it's that bit in between, you've just got your bit of paper and now you want to get a job. Do you find that there's that disillusion of, okay, what am I going to do now? What, what, what do I actually want to be working on? Because I've found just through um, the little bits of education stuff that we do. So we'll go and do lectures, Hector, or they'll, Ossigam um, Trent kindly roped us in, didn't they, Drew? So we could review all the final year projects and things like that. So we just get very loosely involved, not to the same extent that what, what, that what you do. Um, but one of the, the interesting things I've kind of come to like is that I don't know if you need to do the best job of that kind of that bit you're talking about. So once they've got the bit of paper, it's almost like oh, we're done with them now. <laughs> you know, it's a, but I don't know if they're that great at that kind of process of getting them work. It's I've had a lot of designers are like, what do I do now? I've got this bit of paper. Is that someone's fault or is that just like a byproduct of the system or um and I, I don't know i might be rambling here but that's kind of where you guys come in i suppose or it's like okay it might be a short quite intense course i, I guess but you'll know a bit more about yourself as a designer and you might feel a bit more inspired to to go and get a job and i'm sure you use your contacts as well in, in landing placements and internships and things like that so did I just ramble at you for, for five minutes there or did I even ask a question? I don't know. A couple of times I felt like, okay, Brad, let him answer now. <laughs> uh, yeah. You think yeah, I've no. nailed this now by 25 episodes, <laughs> but no, I haven't. No, I, I we uh, our program has a really big mentorship program. So all of our students get paired up with one industry professional. Okay, that's um, interesting. And then we have a huge job board where students are able to look for opportunities and um, a lot of them start to get internships or start to get entry-level positions and i think our i think the purpose of what we're doing here is yeah a lot of these students leave off-site and they're excited or they're shocked they're like oh my god like you know i grew you know my my skills were elevated and some students even come out a little confused because like you brad you're like what do i do now and so what we try to do is when you are a part of off-site and you you leave off-site that's essentially when our relationship with you begins because we're going to be there, you know, through your journey forever. Um, and so what we do is we meet with you, we listen to you and a lot of them are confused. They're like, I don't know what to do now. So we have these conversations with them um, until we kind of dig deep to figure out what do they want to do and why do they want to do it? And then that's how we're able to help them. Okay. We know someone who does this. We know, who's, we know someone that we can connect you to who can help you kind of find your path. And we've had those conversations. We we've built uh, internally a team called the experience team and their job, essentially they're kind of like design researchers. Their job is to sit in every class. They're kind of like a fly in the wall and they're collecting data on how the instructors are teaching and how they're doing. But their job is also to um, 
listen to our students. A lot of our students, we allow them to, we give them the freedom to voice their concerns, any frustrations they might have. And we take those concerns and we implement it into our program so that our program is always growing and iterating. As opposed to traditional academia, students are frustrated and they're pissed off that they got to pay X amount of money, but then they can't voice their opinion to anyone because no one gives a shit. Um, For us, it's like, what's bothering you and how can we help you? thank you. Let's go implement it. And then we are very open and very transparent with our instructors. Hey, uh, this, these students uh, want to know if you can change maybe this part of how you're lecturing, or maybe can you make the, the presentation available prior to your class so that the students are able to process information, you know? So we we're all about kind of understanding the student. It's a very student center focus um mm. and that's how we're able to accomplish a lot of these these conversations yeah. it's amazing too because there's, there's nothing like this in the uk is there really you know you think uh, we even find idsa quite fascinating because it's just so much better than what we've got over here <laughs> but yeah i i want to i want to do it i want to do something like that over here i'm massively inspired um i i wouldn't know where to begin nope. <laughs> um, and, uh, i might uh, you know if you're if you're open to it i'd like to pick your brains a little more yeah. you know offline and see um you know maybe, the, maybe there's i don't know yeah maybe there's something we could do drew with like if there's anyone listening or we got friends and stuff here in the uk and maybe i'm sure there are clients of mine and stuff that would be happy to come on and be mentors or something like that. I'm sure there'd be loads of people that are huge advocates. So if you're finding that this eight to 10% UK thing is growing, we're getting more and more UK designers all the time. Seriously, let us know. I'm sure we can find mentors for them. You know, think people at Win. I'm sure they'd they'd, they'd be happy to give their time. So I already have like a mentee. Yeah, a mentee. Anyway, the, uh, the final, the final big question. What's the question, Drew? Well, I've got to figure out how I'm going to, how I'm going to um, word it. Okay, well, it's basically, instead of what was the weirdest thing you worked on, what's the, what was the last product? And you don't have to name it or, or like name the brand, but like what was the last product where you were using it and just went, what the shit, man? This is terrible. <laughs> I need to pull this thing apart and do it again. What's mm. the one thing that's like, or like the one thing that comes to mind first that's just an absolutely awful design you know this could be this could be great it's a great idea or it's a great notion it has value of or like it, yeah i'll i'll, I'll show up but, um yeah okay so the last thing or the last product that that i've experienced that was maybe a couple of years ago um i was doing work for a furniture company and they came to me um with a big budget big vision and um this was about a year relationship and uh, throughout the year they kept pulling um they kept pulling back some of the premium materials that they want to use like mm-hmm. oh can we replace it with this and at the end of that project the furniture piece uh, a lot it was a uh, it was desks and uh, kind of um you know bedroom furniture um the 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 furniture pieces went from being made of real wood to made of you know ikea like you know very exactly cheap wood and and they started to pull back on a lot of things and um it was a shit show because um at the end i was so frustrated because i was excited like oh i get to build premium premium 
want like beautiful pieces of furniture that are going to be long lasting if you take care of it. Um, you know, this time kind of would, you know, ages like fine wine and, you know, all that stuff. And it ended up being cut up and, 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 and went through marketing and, and, um, all this shit. And it ended up being a shit piece of furniture that was like $30 at target or whatever. Um, mm. and it has really cheap paneling and very, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'm, and it was, I was so pissed off because, um, this company had an opportunity to, to do something amazing and really have an impact and sustainability. And they went from having this very positive, you know, to having this completely, yeah. uh, yeah, that, <laughs> so, uh, the, the product went from bringing an amazing real, like made of real materials to complete opposite. Did like, the price it, point change. Not. yes yep the okay. price point everything changed all the right. materials all the 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 methods of of manufacturing everything changed it's, it's interesting because like a piece of furniture i mean even now i think to a lot of designers that's something that's really uh compelling to want to work on because it's something that yeah okay you can do it in a simple way but you can also make it as well i suppose as complex as you like but you can design it so it's going to last and be lived in and age in someone's home and become all right it arrives as one thing which is very almost identical to the next one that gets made but over time it becomes an individual piece and it's something mm. that you can really be proud of that you've had some you know some input onto and um it's definitely something that i'm working on in the background for now that i'd like to build up i've got some uh, some ideas but it's interesting you went to furniture um because there's so much crap furniture yeah it's like you have an opportunity to make a real piece of furniture and they made a furniture that looks like fake wood, you know? And it's just like, it's something that I won't ever put in my portfolio. Um, and something that after this episode, I don't think I'll ever talk about ever again. (laughs) So thank you for listening to the latest episode of design truth. Um, if the patron thing was of like half interest to you, then I'll leave the link somewhere, um, probably on our website, so you can take a look at it. I think it's just patreon.com forward slash design truth um, if you really desperately want to find it. And um, the door is open to other companies as well that want to get involved with it. So as you saw, Ineo are kindly providing a £100 voucher, but I think we'd love to make it a place where kind of companies like that are kind of giving back to the community with with three b's and whatnot um the sun is kind of out it's not out as i'm looking outside the window now but i'm hoping that with this pandemic getting a little bit easier on the eye um we can all start meeting up you know for a beer and things like that so i know i'm going to be in london over the next couple of weeks so it would be nice to meet with perhaps some of the ogs of design truth and have a beer with them and um yeah, as I say in every week, just look after yourselves, really. And um, I'll, uh, I'm sure I'll see you all soon. Ta-da. <laughs> <laughs>